Well, good morning and welcome to Gospel City Church. My name is Tyler Holder and I am our pastor of Young Adult and Men's Discipleship. And one thing that Erin said that stood out to me and I loved it, she said, smile back. Um, so I would love it if you smiled, not just at the children this morning, but man, if you could smile at me, let me see them pearly whites, it would make my day so much better. And uh, I just appreciate you joining with us this morning. Hey, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you, make your way over to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21 is where we're going to be camping out this morning into chapter 22. And as you do, let me ask you this question. How, how many of you remember pivotal moments in your life, right? It could be that first car accident, maybe that first speeding ticket, the day you were married, right? Or the first time you got a full-size candy bar instead of a fun-size candy bar that isn't so fun on Halloween. You know what I'm talking about, right? No, I'm the only one. I love the king size on Halloween or the share bags of M&Ms. Just a little hint for us out there, okay? Right? So there's so many pivotal moments in our lives. Now, if you would permit me, I'd love to share just a few of those pivotal moments that have happened in my life. How many of you remember back to the summer of 86? Summer of 86, yeah? A couple of us, okay. That was a life-changing moment for me. Maybe you don't remember what happened in the summer of 86, specifically in July, but I was born, right? That is a life-changing, shaping moment. Now, here's what just happened. Some of you thought, wow, he could be my son. <laughs> Others of you thought, wow, that bro is super old. Um, and I'll receive both of those, okay? I'll receive both of those. The summer of 86, I was born in North Kansas City, Missouri to Dave and Cindy Holder, proud parents of the third boy, the youngest of three boys is what I am. And as I was born, man, I, quickly my life just shifted and changed. Over the next few years, I moved from North Kansas City, Missouri to Fort Scott, Kansas to Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. And in 1993, another life-changing pivotal moment happened for me. We moved from Wauwatosa, Wisconsin to Roanoke, Virginia. I was seven years old. We moved three doors down from Pastor Rick Elmore of the Cave Spring Baptist Church. My parents being the Jesus-loving, God-honoring folks that they are, they took us to church. We landed there at Cave Spring Baptist Church and about seven or eight years old for me in Roanoke, Virginia, Pastor Rick Elmore walked three doors down and sat with this little boy in the living room of 5708 Penguin Drive and he opened God's word and he shared with me about who Jesus was and what he had done and the gospel. And he leaned forward on, uh, in our living room with the like, kind of teal, kind of maroon carpet. And he said, do you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ? Do you want to go to heaven and not hell? And as a seven, eight-year-old boy, I said, absolutely. Absolutely. Let me pray that prayer. Let me do whatever you're sharing with me to do right now, Pastor Rick. Now, this is where my story kind of divulges or kind of detours a little bit because from seven, eight years old to about 17, over about 10 years, I could look back at my life and see that the fruit of my life was not the fruit of one who had a relationship with Christ. Because over those 10 years, my life as an adolescent, it was filled with lies. It was filled with substance abuse. It was filled with poor relationship decisions with a young lady and so much other sin. My life, the fruit of my life, showed that the roots of my life were still in the world. 
And then it happened, another pivotal moment. The summer before my junior year, 2003, my dad transfers from Roanoke, Virginia to Woodstock, Georgia. My folks, being the loving folks that they are, they said, spend some time saying goodbye to your friends this summer. We're going to move to Georgia. You can live and stay with your best friend. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting on the couch in my best friend's house and the door opens. I was like, that's strange. His folks are gone. I'm not sure who's walking in. And in walks my mom. She had gotten on a plane in Atlanta, Georgia, flown to Roanoke because she had found out that I had been living a double life, deceiving others and lying to my best friend and her. And she yanked me out of Roanoke, Virginia, faster than a duck on a June bug. Man, I was gone, right? Another pivotal moment. As I was yanked out of what I had known for a decade, I land in Woodstock, Georgia, the middle of the summer. Man, there's nobody around. I'm not in school to meet friends. I'm, I'm, there's nothing for me to do. And then another pivotal moment happened for me. On a Tuesday visitation, I got a knock on the door and I open it to Jeremy Brummel, a young man from First Baptist Church, Woodstock. And he invites me. He invites me in to experience youth group on a Wednesday night. Now, here's the deal. In Roanoke, over that 10-year period, I had been invested in the local church. And I was there on Sundays. I would periodically go on Wednesdays. But the problem was is that the peers that I partied with were the peers that I went to church with. And for the first time in my life, in Jeremy Brummel and the group of teenagers at First Woodstock, what I saw were peers that loved Jesus. And their lives were marked and changed by him. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I was walking out of church after serving in nursery and my best friend walked past me. He said, Tyler, you got to go to church today. Don't miss it. I was like, okay. So I walked into a service that I didn't usually go to. I sat in the center section in the center row in the center of that row, the worst place to sit, this, this section, right? <laughs> Sorry. And here's what happened. The pastor opened God's word. He preached the gospel and the Holy Spirit convicted my heart. Because you see what had happened for me over a 10-year period is I had believed a lie. I had believed that a simple prayer as a seven or eight-year-old without life transformation redeemed me. And that wasn't true. As a seven or eight-year-old, could I have come to know Christ? Absolutely. And I pray that so many of our children come to know Jesus at such a young age. But for me, it wasn't true. So as the Holy Spirit used his word to pierce my heart, I felt so uncomfortable. I mean, I was a wreck. I jumped into my 1997 Chevy Lumina and I drove home a mess. I wish I could say in that moment I responded to the gospel, but I didn't. Instead, what I did was I took my Bible by myself and I read it and I opened it and I said, God, is this true? by myself, in my bedroom, on the floor, next to my bed, Bible open, about a month or two later is when I repented of my sins and placed my faith in Christ as a 17-year-old young man. From 17 to now, I'm 35. God has continued to reveal, shape, and mold me to become a servant of his. These pivotal moments in our life, they shape us, they mold us, they change us. And for me and for you, the most pivotal moment that can shape you is the response you could have to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the most pivotal moment in your life isn't the day you're married, isn't when your children are born, isn't when you graduate fifth grade. The most pivotal moment in your life is when you hear the gospel and you respond to it. 
So here in our text today, in Acts chapter 21 and 22, what we're going to see and what Paul is going to show us is he's going to show us his testimony of a changed life. We're going to see Paul outline for us how he met Jesus, what his life was like before Jesus, and now with Jesus in his life, how his life is different. And as we do, here's what I hope we will see from our passage today. This simple big idea that God gives disciples avenues by which to share their testimony of a changed life. God gives disciples avenues by which to share their testimony of a changed life. You see, we'll see the avenue that Paul gives the, or that God gives the apostle Paul here this morning to speak into and step into a moment to open up his mouth and clearly share what God has done for him, through him, and to him. And as we look at the text this morning, I want you to ask yourself this question. What avenue has God given you as a disciple to share your testimony of a changed life? Because so often I think we can look at the book of Acts especially and see the apostle Paul just crushing it. Man, he is awesome, on fire, going from city to city, place to place. He's getting beaten with rods and he still stands up. He gets stoned and he still stands up and he keeps going and he makes all these decisions. And we can go, man, that's the apostle Paul. That can never be me. But hear me, church. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, God has given you an avenue to share the testimony you have of a transformed, changed life. So as we look at our text, whether you're a third grader at recess, a middle schooler struggling with your identity, or somebody who is retired and spends half your year here, half your year somewhere else, whatever it is, God has graciously given you avenues by which to share your story. And that's what I hope we'll see this morning. We ready? Praise the Lord. Let's go. Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 37. We'll pick up where Mitch left off last week. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So what Luke is doing here, he's setting the scene for us to see where Paul is and what he is doing. And recall where we left off last week. Recall where we left off. The apostle Paul had just been beaten. He, he had entered into the octagon and left a loser, okay? Like he had gone in, he was bloody, he was a mess. So much so that the Romans took notice of it and they came down and rescued him. Remember that the apostle Paul, he's, he's, a, he's kind of a hard knocks kind of guy. So at this moment, when Paul is being carried literally on the shoulders of the Romans, kind of like those students at the Notre Dame section every time they score, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of the apostle Paul at this moment. He's being carried. They're not, they didn't score a touchdown, right? They're saving his life. And he looks over at the tribune. And I can just imagine in my mind kind of what Paul does in this moment. So he's being carried by the soldiers. He turns his head to the side, kind of spits out a few teeth that have been knocked out. <clears throat> my, this is the Rocky version. Blood is dripping everywhere. Apollo is right here. And you don't know. Some of you just got it. And as he looks at the Roman Tribune, he says, may I ask you a question? 
And the guy is just flabbergasted. He's, you speak Greek? Absolutely, I speak Greek. Aren't you the Egyptian who led the band of assassins? Nope, not me, wrong guy, sorry. But can I say something to the crowd? And I love what happens. The soldiers carrying Paul, they kind of pause for a minute. They set him down. And imagine, again, he had just received a beating. The crowds most likely had fractured some bones. He was profusely bleeding. He stands up on the temple steps and he raises his hand. Can you just see it in your mind? The scene before you? Chaos erupting all around you. And the man you just beat stands on the steps and does this. And a great hush fell upon the crowd. And Paul, seeing the opportunity, seeing the avenue, launches into sharing his testimony of a transformed life. Look at what he does here in, verse 20, in chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. He says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. You see here in chapter 22, verse 1, the word that Paul uses there for defense is the word that we get our word apologetics from. It literally means to provide rationale for his beliefs, to attempt to prove that his faith in the Messiah Jesus is reasonable, necessary, and right. Paul is going to use this opportunity to give the defense as to why Jesus is the Messiah. And it's a beautiful thing. So our first point this morning as we look at Paul unpacking his testimony of a changed life is this. Life before Jesus. Notice verses 3 through 5 in chapter 22. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. See, Paul summarizes his life before meeting Christ. He tells him he is a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, no obscure city. He was brought up in Jerusalem. He's educated at the feet of Gamaliel, a well-known teacher and rabbi. He is zealous. He is passionate about the law and God. He persecuted the way, which is what they referred to as Christians in Acts, which is what, man, he, he did it to the point of death. He was tight. He was buddies with the high priest and the Sanhedrin. He had letters of persecution and was willing to travel hundreds of miles to capture Christ's followers and bring them back to Jerusalem. Paul was an OG type of guy. He was the type of guy that would do this because he was passionate about God and what he was doing he felt like was right. Paul was there he was in the midst of this crowd and at this point they're all listening and going yes absolutely I remember you there I remember you there I remember you there see Paul is going to great lengths to show the crowd that he has plenty in common with them he has plenty in common with them he's taking the time to present his defense against the charges that they brought against him and he is also taking the time to build inroads and remove roadblocks from their minds let me ask you, have any of you ever had a teacher that made something horrible fun? No, yeah, right here. Man, I'm, I'm right there with you, okay? Like one that can make grammar enjoyable or math and algebra seem good. Like when they added letters to math, I was gone. 
Just, there's no reason for you to do that. Why would you do that? And they do it. And then they expect you to, anyways, this is, it's not about that. It's, not, it's, about, it's about this, right? Right? What those teachers do is, is they take something that's complex and they present it, they share it in such a way as to remove roadblocks from your mind so that you can understand what they are saying. What the Apostle Paul is doing here in the first few verses of chapter 22 is he is removing, he is taking down, he is dismantling any roadblock that these Jews might have to the hearing of the message of Jesus Christ. Did you know that there's roadblocks that are still present in the lives of those that have yet to come to Christ? Did you know that there is roadblocks that as disciples of Jesus, we can work to dismantle in the lives of those who are far from Jesus. As I thought about some of these barriers or some of these roadblocks, I thought about quite a few and actually sent a text message out to our elders and pastors and Michelle Helmkamp helped me. Man, I gotta be honest with you, the leadership here is wonderful. They responded so quick. But man, some of the barriers that we thought through that are barriers to those that are far from Christ right now, the first barrier that we thought through is that there's no example of true disciples modeling Christ for them. I mean, if you're gonna sit down with somebody who is far from Christ and ask them, man, what's a barrier to you? What's preventing you from coming to know Christ? They could very well say, I've never seen the life of a true Christ follower modeled for me. Another barrier is that they could just be indifferent to spiritual life. You ever had a conversation with somebody and opened up God's word and they just go, yeah, it's just not for me say what? This is eternal life. Mm -hmm. It's just not for me. Okay? They could be indifferent to spiritual life. Or they could be battling against cultural pressures. I think about those of you in elementary and middle school and entering into a stage of life where, I mean, the cultural pressures to conform and to be like everybody else will be mounting and mounting and mounting. And to live an authentic Christ-honoring life as a disciple of his will be difficult. And your peers, your friends might look at you and say, no, man, if I do that, it won't be cool. If I do that, I'm gonna, no, I'm not gonna do that. Cultural pressure could be a barrier. Or bad things. Bad things have happened in their life. I mean, my folks have been divorced. My grandparents passed away. There's just bad things that have happened in life. Those could very well be barriers. Or selfishness, self-centeredness, and self-righteousness. Life is about me, and that's all I care about. That's a barrier to hearing the gospel. And lastly, you could just be numb to your sin. That you've lived in sin so long that you don't even recognize it anymore. Hear me, church. As faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, let us live our lives in such a way that they see our love for one another and the beauty of the gospel. And let us work diligently to remove barriers, to remove roadblocks from those who are far from Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's helping to break down the barriers that would hinder their hearing of the redeeming message of the gospel. The crowd at the temple, they were guilty of rejecting the Messiah, but Paul takes the opportunity that God has given him to extend to them yet again an opportunity to hear the gospel by sharing his testimony of how God has changed his life. And in so doing, Paul answers a question that we all too must answer. He answers the question before the crowd, who was I? Who was I before Christ? 
Who was I? We clearly see who Paul was. Let me ask you, are you clearly able to communicate who you once were before Jesus? If you call yourself a disciple of his, are you able to clearly share who you once were? So the first component that we see in a testimony of a changed life is life before Christ. The second is found in verses 6 through 16, and it's meeting Jesus. Have your eyes on a copy of God's word, chapter 22, verses 6 through 16. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. See, what's happening here in Acts 22 should sound very familiar to you, because we've already seen it happen once in Acts chapter 9. What Paul's doing here is he's recounting his meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus. So track with Paul's exposure here to Christ. About noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. I don't know about you, but at noon, high noon, right? In the the West, we'd always have the kind of okay corral thing. But for Paul, at high noon, a light that was brighter than the sun shone around him, blazing down on him to where he fell on his knees. He falls to the ground and hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I find that so interesting, by the way, because there's no indication that Paul ever met Jesus face to face. So in him meeting Christ for the first time on the Damascus road, what we get a glimpse of is we get a glimpse of Jesus's care for his church. Who's Paul persecuting? Well, he's persecuting followers of Christ. And a persecution on a follower of Jesus is a persecution on Jesus himself. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? As Saul falls to the ground, Jesus reveals himself and Saul responds by asking two questions. He says, who are you, Lord? It's a question we see in Acts chapter 9, and we get an additional question here in Acts chapter 22 that we didn't know yet. He says, what shall I do, Lord? He asks two simple questions. You know what I find interesting? I find it interesting that you can learn a lot about a person's heart by the questions they ask. Did you know that? So if, if I was interacting with you and I said, hey, <clears throat> do you have any deodorant? What you would quickly learn is that I'm smelling very ripe, this morning, right? Or if I came up to you and said, hey, hey, do you know how to get to University Park Mall? You would know that I'm what? Lost. Or if you've ever interacted with children or your kids and they ask questions like, do we have to eat our vegetables? Do we have to clean our rooms? Do we have to do our homework? Do we have to do our chores? Do we have to put away laundry? Do we have to take a shower? Then what you would quickly learn is that it's just a a Monday at our house. (laughs) And maybe a Monday at yours as well right? Questions, questions reveal so much about our hearts, don't they? And here, as we examine Paul's testimony in Acts chapter 22, what we see is, is we see Paul's questions revealing a lot about his heart. Notice the first question is, who are you, Lord? And Jesus reveals himself. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And the second question for us, the second question that we see here in Acts chapter 22, what shall I do, Lord? That simple question reveals the radical transformation that had just happened in Paul's life. 
that in a moment, Paul goes from persecutor to follower. That in a moment, Paul's heart has been exposed to the life-altering, life-changing message of the gospel. And he responds in faith. No longer is Jesus the one he's persecuting, but now Jesus is his Lord. The acknowledgement that the revealed Christ is now Lord shows us the power that Jesus has to take an angry, violent, murderous man and transform him from a heart full of sin to a follower of his. Paul becomes a follower of Christ here in this moment. And what we see next should encourage all of us in our relationship with Christ. Notice he gets up here in Acts 22. And then when we pair it with what we see in Acts chapter 9, he gets up, he goes into Damascus. He waits for Ananias to come and restore his sight. As he does, he immediately responds in baptism and obedience, and he proclaims Jesus to all who would listen. You see, for Paul, after meeting Jesus, there's only one option for him. It's not, man, I want to cling to the life I once had and still follow Christ. The only option for Paul is a life of obedience. Did you know that's the only option for you as well? That if The gospel has transformed you. If you would claim to be a disciple of Jesus, then the only option for us is to live our lives in obedience to him. We see Paul doing that immediately here in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22. Notice he comes and is baptized immediately. When Ananias comes, prays, snake scales fall off his eyes. He's baptized immediately and he goes into Damascus confounding the Jews and preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And here in Acts chapter 22, we get another glimpse as to what happened to Paul. He comes into Jerusalem, it says, in a few verses after ours that we stopped reading, and he's praying in the temple. He falls into a trance, and notice what happens. Chapter 22. I just lost my place. There it is. When I returned, chapter 22, verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. When the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. For he said to me, go, I will send you away, far away to the Gentiles. See, what happens as Paul is relating how he met Christ, Christ is about to share with him what his life will look like. But I love what happens here in our text. A few verses prior, Ananias speaks to him, and he speaks the words of God to him. He says, God has told me that the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and what you have heard. See, Paul's obedience is directly tied to those four statements. That he will know God's will, he will see the righteous one, he will hear his voice, and he will be his witness. And the rest of Paul's life, we've gotten a first-person look at the rest of Paul's life, by the way. This is over 20 years since the Damascus Road has happened. We've seen Paul embrace God's will, see the righteous one, hear his voice, and be his witness. Paul's marching orders are what he is obedient to. And church, what I hope you realize and hear is that the same marching orders that Paul receives are the same ones that we have received. We know his will through his word. We see the righteous one through his word. We hear him through his word and we are his witnesses because of what his word has declared to us. 
Paul reveals his meeting with Christ here, and he answers the simple question, how has Jesus changed me? See, the first question, who was I before Christ? Now, as he's revealing what Christ has done, as he's met him, he's, he's answering the question, how has Jesus changed me? How has Jesus changed you? A simple but beautiful question. You see, the truth is that Jesus has rescued Paul from the clutches of sin. He did it in an instant. And Jesus extends that same offer, by the way, to you and to me today. The message of the gospel. You see, as we're reading about Paul's changed life, Paul has acknowledged that God is holy. He's acknowledged that just by the light shining down upon him on the Damascus Road. He's acknowledging his own sinfulness. He's seeing Jesus' redemption through the cross, and he's repenting and believing in the gospel message. Can I ask you this morning, has Jesus changed you? Has Jesus changed you through the gospel? Realize that God's holy and he's perfect. And apart from Christ, you're born into sin, wicked, separated from him forever. And yet God, in his holiness, sends his perfect substitutionary son to die on the cross for your sins in your place. And he gives you the offer of redemption by repenting and believing in him. Has Jesus changed you through the gospel message? If he hasn't, you better believe he desires to. And he wants more than anything for you to come to know him. The apostle Paul was changed in a moment and so can you be changed in a moment even today. We see Paul's life before Jesus. We see him meeting Jesus. And then we see, point three, life after meeting Christ. We already read those verses, chapter 22, verses 17 through 21. He returns to Jerusalem. He's praying in a temple. He falls into a trance and he sees Jesus speaking to him. And Jesus tells him, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. You see, for Paul, meeting Jesus wasn't the end of his testimony, and it shouldn't be the end of yours as well. Your testimony doesn't end when you accept Christ at the point of your salvation. Your testimony should continue on and you should share how God continues to reveal himself, continues to care for you and continues to guide you. For Paul, he does that here in Acts chapter 22. And he's in the temple praying and he sees Jesus and Jesus tells him, yeah, you gotta get out. Like you gotta leave. And I love Paul's response because Paul's response is so typical Paul. He's like, no, I think I, think I got a better idea. Kids, let me ask you, if you're under 10 in the room, quick poll, just raise your hand. Have you ever argued with your parents? One, okay, two, three, all right. Um, maybe, maybe you didn't think like they were telling you what was right or maybe you thought you could kind of do the dishes another way or whatever. Let me ask you this question. Who ended up being right? Dad raised his hand, right? 
what Paul's doing here, he's, he's entered into a relationship with Jesus. Remember, his life, our lives as well as disciples should be marked by obedience. And it's just like an argument I have with my kids. Hey, go do this. No, I think I'm going to do it another way. You're going to act a fool and it's not going to work out for you. I'm going to do it that way anyways. I love it. Because Paul enters into this discourse with Jesus. He's like, no, they know me. Like, they know who I once was. I was there when Stephen was stoned. I watched over the coach. Like, man, that's who I was. And then let me tell him, Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You, you got to understand, um, you need to get out. You need to get out. In fact, the word that Jesus uses here when he's talking to Paul and the word that he uses for I will send you literally means I will send you on a specific goal with a specific purpose for a specific reason. So Jesus isn't trying to save Paul's life by having him leave Jerusalem. He's sending Paul off to a greater mission. That's what Paul's life was like after he met Christ. He went off into the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Paul answers a question here in this section of our text. The question Paul answers as he's relating his testimony of a changed life is who am I now with Jesus in my life? He's told us who he was. Man, I was a murderer. I was on a rampage. I was going. I had bloodlust. I wanted to kill every follower of the way that I could. But God, on the Damascus Road, revealed himself to me. And in an instant, I go from persecutor of the way to follower of Jesus, just like that. And my life since then is a life marked by obedience, knowing his will, hearing his word, seeing his face, and being his witness to a watching world. And I have proclaimed with clarity the beauty of the gospel and his faithfulness to my life. So the question that we ask ourselves is, who am I? Who are you now with Jesus in your life? If we claim to be disciples of Christ with testimonies of changed lives, then we should clearly be able to communicate who we now are with him. And if our testimonies end with our meeting Jesus at salvation, then we are being disobedient disciples. If we cannot point to how Christ is continually changing our lives because of our relationship with him. Church, I desire this for us so much because what I see when I look at you are faithful disciples who have testimonies of changed lives and I see in you the ability to open your mouth and to share that with clarity, to go on a specific purpose and a specific point to open up your mouth to those that would hear to break down barriers and to clearly communicate who you were, how you met Jesus and what life has been like since. You have the power and the ability through the Holy Spirit living in you to proclaim a life-changing, life-transforming message. You have avenues that God has given you. Will you see them for what they are? The crowd's response is, Amazing. Verse 22. Up to this word, the word Gentiles, they listened to him. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and fleeing dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. 
But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do for this man is a Roman citizen? So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. And the tribune answered, I, brought this, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew and withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. You see what Paul is communicating to us and what Luke is communicating to us, again, is a response to the message of the gospel. The crowds and the Romans respond the exact same way that they did to Jesus. Do you recall? Away with him. Crucify him is what they said to our Lord. And to the tribune and centurions here, what they say is away with him, he shouldn't be allowed to live. The Romans do the exact same thing they did to Jesus. They arrest him. And again, Paul, I, I just, again, I, I think in terms of Rocky movies sometimes, I just, I see Paul stretched out on the post, getting ready to be beaten within an inch of his life, very well could have killed him or paralyzed him forever, and just looking over and going, yo, Adrian. It's probably wasn't the centurion's name. His name was Lysias, but that's fine. He's aging right now. You sure you want to do this? I love it. Because Paul saves that bit of his identity of who he is for the right time. And he proclaims to the Roman centurion, he proclaims to the tribune, what you are about to do isn't right. You can't do what you're about to do. See, here's the truth. Paul isn't responsible for their response. What Paul's responsible for is share his message of a transformed life. Paul is just a mouthpiece for what God has done. And so are you. So are you. You have a story of redemption if you're a disciple of Christ. You didn't author that story. God did. God sent his son. You didn't send Jesus to this world. He sent his to be a substitutionary sacrifice for you. All Paul has to do is open his mouth to be willing and faithful to share. He's not responsible for the response. So as we land the plane and come to a close this morning, I want to challenge our church family and ask a few questions to you. The, the first challenge and question I want to ask is for all the parents in the room. So for all the parents in the room, you have something that looks like this. Your children have it in the packet they should have picked up. This is important. This is for you, mom and dad. You see, what this is, is this is your opportunity to share your story with your family. So moms and dads, have you ever shared your testimony with your children? Have you ever proclaimed how God has transformed your life in an age-appropriate way, mind you? But have you ever shared your story of redemption with your children? This week, what I hope you'll do is I hope you'll grab this simple insert and over dinner or in the evenings before bed, you would take time to share your story with your children. The greatest gift we can give our children is a life of faithful obedience to the Savior. Are you gonna walk the avenue that God gives you with your family and share your story of a transformed life? I hope you will this week. I hope throughout the week that we'll hear story after story of how you, mom, how you, dad, have faithfully shared your story with your kids. That's a challenge for you, parents.
Because what that means is you got to take time to do that. You might take time to think about what you'll say. And you have to sit down with your family in a consistent, purposeful way. The second challenge is for those in the room that maybe have yet to have a testimony of a changed life. So if you're here this morning at Gospel City Church and you're sitting in these chairs going, you know what, that sounds great, but it's just not for me. Then let me ask you this question. What barrier, what barrier is stopping you from believing? What barrier is stopping you from believing? And here's what I would ask you and challenge you. Would you be so bold as to honestly examine your heart and, and your life and openly ask that question? Because here's, here's what I firmly believe, that if you come to God asking him to reveal barriers in your life, then he will be gracious enough to do it. Then the question becomes, how will you respond? Again, the gospel is extended freely to you. Will you respond to it? And the last challenge is for all of us as a family here at Gospel City. And it's the question we began with. What avenue has God given you to share your testimony of a changed life? Could it be with your friends? Could it be with your in-laws, your children, your neighbors, your coworkers? Could it be with that stranger on the golf course or that person at the mire? What avenue has God given you to share your testimony of a changed life? God has graciously redeemed you if you're a disciple of his. And Gospel City family, please hear me. The only option we have is to be obedient to what he has said. We don't get an option to argue with him. Paul did and it didn't work out too well for him. The option we have is to be obedient. God has given you an avenue to share. Don't miss it. Open your eyes this week and be willing to walk down the avenue that God gives you to share your story of a changed life. Begin with your family and ask God to give you more. Let's pray and then let's sing celebrating the testimonies that God has given us. So Father, we thank you for the stories of transformation that you've written. That Father, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have access unlike never before. So Lord, would you move, act, work? Lord, would you bring in us faith to believe? Give us eyes to see the avenues by which we can go down to share the testimony of a changed life. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the death you gave. Thank you for the life you lived. Thank you that you conquered death, hell, and the grave and now sit at the right hand of God the Father. So Lord, may we believe that, may we proclaim that, may we share that all the more. So Father, to you we pray in the name of your Son, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.